Episode 51 So Kyle went and saw his folks in what was once their modern townhouse in a formerly new development in Vegas. His mom covered his face with kisses, knocking his hat off. Mom, he said, burning with mortification. The problem was not just that he did not deserve her devotion. It was the way his mother's ravaged face expressed it. Kyle found his dad in his recliner, watching a World War I movie, the kind where men with dirty faces exchanged terse farewells before leaping one last time out of the trench. A glass of bourbon balanced on the recliner's arm. Kyle waited for Bert to tear his eyes from the screen. "'Look who's here,' said Bert finally. He had on new glasses, rectangular with heavy black rims. His eyes swam like fat blue fish inside them. "'Don't get up,' said Kyle. He tucked a thumb into his belt loop, which he'd never done before in his life, and leaned casually on his cane. "'What's with the cowboy look?' Bert said. "'You a fag now?' "'I guess your eyesight's not so bad, since you're able to discuss my fashion choices.' "'Not stone-blind yet. Sorry to disappoint you. Come back later for the white cane and pencil cup.' "'I'm sorry.' I'm on vacation now, Bert said, spreading his arms dramatically. Pretty great, huh? The boss told me I had to use my days or lose them. I've been screwing up, see? Flipping cards, getting in fights with players. When my vacation's up, he's going to inform me my services are no longer needed. He can't do that, Dad, not after all the years you've given them. You think not? Every day I stood at that table, I was on the edge of a cliff. One false move and boom. No job, no food, no nice home for Kyle and Marion. I had to eat a mountain of shit every single day, and my only dream now is to go back and eat more. Bert, please, Marion said from the doorway, ice clattering in her glass. Kyle's come all this way. I can't stay long, said Kyle. But we have dinner reservations. At Smuggler's Cove, said Bert. They're comping us because they know I'm being canned. You don't want to miss out on my last fling, do you? Smuggler's Cove had undergone major renovations since Kyle had spent his youthful days there, wiping tables and dreaming of comedic glory. No more flimsy Jolly Roger flags drooped from the ceiling. No fake mermaids on fake ships' bows, distressed by fake salt spray, loomed over tables. The crossed plastic swords and pistols had vanished. Now authentic weapons gleamed in locked glass cases, with little plaques detailing their provenance. The place had become an actual museum, displaying sextants, spy glasses, worn gold coins dredged up from real shipwrecks. A gold button had, supposedly, once adorned Blackbeard's coat. "'It's classy, isn't it?' said Marion. "'It was always classy, but this is a whole new level of class.' She grinned and raised her glass to Titus, an old family friend. He had been a pit boss at the Tahitian years ago. Now he managed the newly renovated nightclub, the Tiki Palace. He had joined the Majeskis for dinner, apparently by invitation." So Titus, Marion said, already loud from her second cocktail, or fourth, depending on whether the count began at home, what's new at the Tiki Palace? I'm glad you asked. Titus's thick fingers mauled a breadstick. As you know, the Tahitian needs a new image. We can't afford to be the old lady from the fifties any longer, what with these state-of-the-art casinos popping up all over. Everything about the Tahitian has to be new, the decor, the food, the games, the vibe. For my part, here Titus touched his lapel with an oily fingertip, I have made it the Tiki Palace's mission to identify and groom new talent, so we now have an unknown as the opening act every Wednesday. The most popular acts will get regular gigs as warm-up acts for the big names. Eventually they could become headliners themselves. You don't say, Titus, Bert growled. But I do say. Kyle snatched a breadstick from the basket. He stuffed a piece into his mouth but found himself unable to chew. He remembered his mother showing him a trick when he was little. If you were eating something you found you didn't want to swallow, you held your napkin up to your mouth like this and gave a little cough. 
At precisely that moment, you spat your food into the napkin and gathered it all up, nice and neat. And then you... But this part had never been so clear. So Kyle... Titus turned to him, beaming in such a way that Kyle realized instantly that, one, Titus was genuinely pleased to be offering him and Bert and Marion this big favor, and, two, he had no doubt his offer would be accepted. Titus had reserved the opening spot for Kyle this coming Wednesday. It's a perfect fit, said Titus. If the Tahitian had a son, you would be him. We'll talk it up like a great big homecoming. Bert says your act is really good. You do a hell of a Reagan bit, he says. With great effort, Kyle chewed his bread. The effort was too much. He spat his bread into his napkin and began to sniffle. His mother grabbed his arm. What is it, honey? Are you sick? Do you want to go home? Kyle shook his head. He's overcome by the great news, aren't you, Kyle? Bert yelled. Kyle felt himself sliding forward on his seat. In a moment, he could be under the table. He'll take it, Bert said. Kyle shook his head again. What? Bert said. Are you saying no to this gig? Kyle nodded. I can't believe this. Titus pulled some major strings here. You should be kissing his feet, not pissing on them. I'm sorry. I don't do impressions any more. I thought you knew. Kyle's prime rib arrived, throbbing on the plate like his heart. I have other things I want to do, Dad. Like what? I can't say right now, but I have some ideas. You're going to drive around like a moron for the rest of your life doing errands for your wife? Is that it? Kyle threw his napkin, chewed bread and all, down on the table. Marion whimpered in between gulps of bourbon. Titus shrugged and snapped a claw off his lobster. Bigfoot wanders through the desert. It's dusk, and he is looking for a place to sleep. He's overheated. His coat is thick. He is not a desert creature, that's for sure. Still, he likes it here. There is a clarity he has found nowhere else. Blue sky, red rocks, finely detailed plants in green and yellow. Each pebble and grain of sand stands in relief, as if outlined by hand. He's not sure how he got here. He has a sense of gliding, which may mean he has been in a car. A man was talking, maybe, and he seemed sad. But that's how all people seem to Bigfoot. The sun slips behind the mountains. Bigfoot finishes off the liter of Pepsi the sad man must have given him. The liquid is warm and thick. He can feel it devouring what is left of his teeth. He has nowhere to put the bottle, so he digs a hole in the sand and buries it. As he tries to stand, exhaustion washes over him. He falls onto his knees and rolls onto his back as a jet fighter splits the sky. For Bigfoot, time is not an arrow, but a game of cat's cradle in the hands of an insane child. The line stretches and collapses and crosses over itself. Hours can be like days or seconds. Bigfoot leaps across a river and decades pass. A memory bursts in his brain. A young woman with braids smiles at him, and then an ocean roils with red foam. He sits on a rock and holds his head and tries to remember. He tries until his brain roars with fatigue, and in all that time the bird hopping across the leaf litter by his feet has only hopped once more. A purple net drifts across the sky, catching the earth. Stars peer through the mesh. It seems to Bigfoot that these figures represent his ancestors. He's not alone in the universe, but the others are very far away. The sky turns deep blue and black. The stars leave trails as the world spins below him. The patient's song, My Fucking Life, music by Stick and lyrics by Katie, once again sent the missing link into raptures. <laughs>